Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. I cannot tell how all the land shall worship when at his bidding every storm is stilled. Or who can say how great the jubilation when all our hearts with love for him are filled. But this I know, the skies will sound his praises. 10,000 human voices sing, and earth to heaven and heaven to earth will answer, at last the Saviour, the Saviour of the world is King. Heavenly Father, we long for that day when we and all your people from every tribe and tongue and nation will be gathered around your throne, praising you for this great salvation, praising your Son, the Lamb, his blood shed for our forgiveness. Now we long for that day, Lord, and we pray, Father, that you would line up our hearts and our minds, our actions, our decisions, all of our lives with that great purpose, uh, leading us to that great day. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's uh, well worth turning to, uh, if you've shut it, that is, uh, page 1104, uh, Acts chapter 10, uh, which is uh, where we'll be focused as we continue uh, this series and uh, this brilliant book of Acts, uh, Acts chapter 10, uh, is going to be our focus uh, together today. Uh, change is uh, perhaps one of the great constants uh, of life, change of age, change of stage, change of friends, family, job, home, you name it, life is uh, constantly about change. Uh, back in 2007, God led us as a family here to Fullwood for a season of seven years to this place that was, uh, uh, well, as much home as any place on earth has ever been to us. Uh, But change comes and we were led away uh, from here to another home. Uh, And in many ways, uh, revisiting uh, forward is comfortable and familiar. It's brilliant. Uh, But then change has been at work here as well. So many new faces, so much growth. It is brilliant to see. Uh, Change is a blessing, isn't it? Uh, But it can also be disruptive to our way of life, can't it? Uh, We've felt that uh, since returning to Sydney, uh, three and a half years we've been back there and in God's arrangement of things we find ourselves uh, living very close to where both Liz and I grew up. Uh, My son uh, attends the school that I went to. Uh, Our girls are heading to the same school Liz went to. In in many ways it looks like we've cocooned ourselves uh, from life's changes. Uh, But our God doesn't do stasis, he does change Uh, Wurunga, a decade ago and before, remained uh, very much an Anglo enclave, as Anglo as Australians get, that is. But God, uh, uh, our God who uh, determines the times and the places, uh, the locations that we each live, is bringing change to the area. Uh, This Anglo enclave is very much opening into a a melting pot of uh, increasingly diverse cultures, especially from Asia, and it's brilliant. Brilliant, but disruptive. Uh, The church community, St Andrews, uh, of which is uh, one of many in the area, uh, are very much behind the curve of change in our communities and uh, don't in many ways reflect the change, uh, cultural uh, change going on around us. We are Anglicans, we don't do change. Uh, But before we are Anglicans, we are people of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is indeed the most powerful agent of change this world has ever and will ever see. And I reckon each one of us as Christians knows that change personally. Uh, That you and I are Christian is because God in his kindness and in his power 
has caused the gospel of the Lord Jesus to move throughout our world and multiply throughout our world. In fact, the word of the Lord Jesus Christ first reached Sydney uh, because two men moved from Hull here in Yorkshire uh, to the, well, the end of the earth, let's be honest, Australia. And uh, well, you only have to go to Doncaster. The story of the gospel is a story of change. Change of hearts, change of communities, change even of whole nations. And my prayer as we look at Acts 10 together is that God would continue to bring that change through the word of the Lord Jesus. Uh, Bring change to Warunga, change to forward, changing our hearts so that we're ready to change our communities. Acts 10, I think, is purposed for that cause. Uh, It's actually part of a string of stories all about change. If you've been here throughout this series, you would have seen that. Uh, The word of the Lord Jesus, as it reaches different people, it changes them. Uh, Acts chapter 8, we saw uh, the eunuch from Ethiopia reading uh, God's word from Isaiah and he bumps into Philip who explains that word and this eunuch has changed forever as he comes to faith in Jesus. Uh, Last week, Acts chapter 9, Saul, a zealous Pharisee who loves the word of God and yet has to be knocked on his backside by the risen Lord, changed forever. And now in uh, Acts chapter 10, we actually have a story of two changes, two conversions, Uh, the Gentile Cornelius, and then the conversion of the disciple Peter. It's these two conversion stories that actually tell the story of how the word of our Lord Jesus has leapt the banks of Jerusalem and Judea and flown out through uh, to the ends of the earth, even forward, even Warunga. And so let's look at these two conversion stories. Uh, Firstly, and more briefly, the conversion of Cornelius. Uh, We meet him in uh, chapter 10, Verse 1, this first man that this word of the Lord Jesus will change forever. And as we meet him, we see that he's not one of God's people. He's very much an outsider. He's a Gentile. He's, we're told, from Caesarea, a centre of Roman occupation against the Jews. Uh, They very much subjugated the Jews in the area. And uh, he doesn't just live there. He works for Rome. He smells of Rome. And everything about him is uh, offensive to the Jewish mindset. And yet, he is, we're told, a God-fearer. Here already, the status quo is being upended. The the embodiment of opposition to the Jews is modelling to the Jews religious life. He's a prayerful man. He's a generous man. God-fearer, as he's described there in verse 2, it it means that he, he wasn't a full convert to Judaism, but he was involved in the things of God. I guess a parallel might be people in our church who who may never have come to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but are warm to God, warm to the things of God, perhaps part of church life, and in some ways more consistent than many of us as Christians. And it does beg the question as we start to meet Cornelius, is, is such a person like Cornelius, or perhaps those in our churches, is their sincerity, is their participation in religious thing, things a sign that they are acceptable to God? I mean, that's the impression that seems to be given here, especially if you look in verse 4, we're told that God sees Cornelius and his prayers, sees his good deeds, they've come before the Lord. And so here's the question, God-fearers, are they accepted by God simply by their sincerity? I reckon we need to be clear about this, especially if we aim to connect with those in our community. 
Uh, we've started uh, in just these last couple of weeks. This shows you how far behind the curve we are as a church in Moorunga. We've started English conversation classes. And the nations have been coming for decades and we're, well, we're two weeks into our program. Only a few weeks in, but already God is bringing the nations to us. And they're lovely people. Sincere, warm to the gospel, happy and even enthusiastic to open the scriptures. Is it possible that a person uh, can come to a group like that and be misguided about who Jesus is and their response to Jesus, uh, but because of their sincerity, because of their religiosity, they can be accepted by God? I mean, what of the sincere Hindu or the sincere Muslim searching after God? Does, Does God accept that? Well, Acts 10 answers with an emphatic no. Uh, there's something we're, we're told here, or Cornelius is told, that he must hear, uh, that will call not for status quo in his life, but for change. I reckon there's uh, four things in our passage, uh, 10 and 11, that uh, show us Cornelius wasn't at this point accepted, or if you like, clean in God's sight, simply by being a God-fearer. Firstly, and we have to jump around a little bit here, have a look at uh, chapter 11, verse 14. Uh, there we see this of this man. Cornelius is a man who needs to be saved. The message that God wants Cornelius to hear from Peter is 11.14, a message through which you and your household will be saved. Uh, the gospel of the Lord Jesus is never a word of confirmation. Uh, it's a word of rescue. Whoever we meet in our communities or even in our churches is someone in need of this message of salvation. Uh, here's the second reason. Uh, Cornelius is a man who needs to repent and believe as we all do. In the name of the Lord Jesus. It's true no matter who we are. We, we saw it the same back in uh, the start of Acts, Acts chapter 2, where their God-fearing Jews, God's people, God-fearing Jews, were, were cut to the heart by this gospel. And they asked, what must we do? The answer was not remain as you are. The answer was repent and be baptised into the name of Jesus. Thirdly, Cornelius remains a man who needs to be forgiven. That's Peter's message to him in 10 verse 43. Everyone who believes on Jesus, that that is not everyone who prays and does good, but everyone who believes on Jesus will receive forgiveness of sins. And finally this, Cornelius is a man who needs a new life. Cornelius lives the good life, doesn't he? He's prayerful, he's generous, he's a do-gooder. But no matter how good his life was, he was not alive to God. He needed to be born again. Uh, 11.18 shows us that. Uh, The repentance that he was called for was a repentance unto life. And so there's our first conversion story. The change the gospel brings. News to Cornelius and his household of salvation. News of the forgiveness of sins that comes through repentance and faith into this new life. And so there we have our first conversion story, Cornelius. Here's our second, and it is deliberately the longer of the two because our passage is dominated not by the conversion of the Gentile, but by the conversion of the Christian. And it is crucial, I think, to see this conversion if we want to see the gospel bring change in the communities around us. Uh, here's what struck me looking at these chapters in preparation for this morning. Uh, sometimes, and perhaps often, Sometimes in the progress of the gospel uh, from our churches to the communities around us and especially the nations around us, uh, sometimes it's necessary for the church to be converted first. 
And I reckon this is a vital lesson if we are going to be anything other than just curved in on ourselves. Uh, we will, if we don't heed this lesson, remain a holy huddle. Now, one of the things that has struck us, uh, Liz and I, in our return to Sydney over these last three and a half years is how in many ways Sydney is in a holy huddle phase. Uh, significant growth has come to Sydney churches over the past decades. Uh, but now in many ways we, we, we find ourselves bunkered down. Uh, our growth, uh, where it comes, is more often than not transfer growth. Uh, it's, it's as if what we're doing is we're moving the deck chairs around the Titanic. And uh, to be honest, a lot of the deck chairs look exactly the same, culturally, socioeconomically. Uh, one of the uh, uh, studies done on Sydney churches in recent times says that only 16% of people in our churches are actively involved in sharing their faith beyond the borders of the church. We're happy in our huddle. And our churches, uh, and ours included, uh, are not reflective of the diversity of the city. We're happy in our uh, sameness. And so reading Acts into that context has been confronting. Now the church in Acts was on mission from Jerusalem to Judea to the ends of the earth, but somewhere around, well, Jerusalem, it got stuck. And eventually, as we go through this book of Acts, we're going to see how the word of the Lord Jesus will surge to the very ends of the earth, but it's going to take two dramatic catalysts. It's going to take severe persecution and it's going to take the conversion of the church. And it's the conversion of the church that we see before us here. Uh, Peter, who's the, really the lead player in our passage, is a key leader in the church and in many ways represents where the mission was up to. It's as if radical change had come to the early church in these early days, but they were still coming to terms with the change and what it would mean. They knew lots of big ideas about the gospel. They knew Jesus was God's Messiah. They knew Jesus had died to bring forgiveness. They knew faith in Jesus was the only way into God's kingdom. They knew that the Holy Spirit came to dwell on those who put their faith in him. But as you read through Acts, uh, you see them wrestling again and again of how to apply these gospel realities. What about worship in the temple? What about circumcision? And what about these nations that we have studiously avoided? And I reckon we can show similar confusion. It is possible to neglect the mission that we are called to because our desire to stay the same as we are is so strong. It's easy to become a closed fellowship in our community, a bunker where diversity and change, uh, well, uh, that's, that, that's happening around us, doesn't affect us, especially when it comes to the diversity of cultures around us. And so I think we need to ask ourselves, uh, why doesn't our church reflect the diversity of the community around us? Uh, are we afraid of change? Are we unsure of how to uh, bring about that change? Or if we could, uh, would we want to? if it means disrupting our community. And given what we know of the gospel of the Lord Jesus, it is crucial to ask what changes yet need to come. What territories of our hearts are holding perhaps latent xenophobia or even bigotry need to submit to the one who is, chapter 10, verse 36, Lord of all. Are we prepared to live in such a way that the only offence left in place in our churches is the offence of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ? Will we hold loosely to our customs, our comforts, our cliques in order to speed on the gospel within our communities and beyond? We are people who are called to guard the gospel as unchangeable. 
But in respect to how we reach the different cultures around us, with that message, we are to be open and adaptable to change. Now that's the challenge before us in Warunga, and I'm sure it's the same here in Forward. Now here in Acts 10, God intends to dismantle the barriers that Peter has garrisoned around himself. Because he wants the gospel to flow from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And so let's pick up the action in chapter 10 verse 9. Cornelius has a vision from God who has told him that he must send for Peter who's going to bring him a message of salvation. And Cornelius sends his servants to to find Peter and then at that moment the, the camera pans to Peter. He's on the roof, he's about to pray, it's the middle of the day, he's hungry. I love that detail. That's usually what happens to me when it's time to pray. I feel how hungry I am. Well, there he is in his hunger and into a trance, perhaps a hungry trance, he has a vision of food. Uh, This hungry man is shown a huge picnic blanket. But this picnic blanket is filled with food that he's not allowed to eat as a Jew. And then God gives him this command, verse 13, get up, Peter, and kill and eat. A classic Peter. Surely not, Lord. I love that. Surely not, King. Here we see the unexpected blockage to Peter's mission to the nations. He doesn't want to associate with anything unclean, food or people. Peter knew God's mission was to go to the nations. He knew that. He'd been given that command, but surely it wasn't going to involve him coming to the nations. So determined is God to break through these barriers, he shows him this picnic spread three times. This unclean buffet is laid before Peter's eyes and we see here eventually that it's not about unclean food but unclean people who need the gospel and yet Peter's religious scruples won't let him go there. But God is determined to smash through that barrier. He is Lord and Saviour of every nation, every community, even Warunga, even Forward. And I love how God goes about it with his servant Peter. He doesn't go straight to Peter's view of who is clean and unclean, who who should be in and out. He starts with food. God is not simply aiming to change Peter's diet though. Rather, he wants him to sit down with Gentiles in their homes and tell them the gospel, the only word that can save them. But Peter is stuck at these food and customs. He's stuck there because as a Jewish Christian, he had particular particular dietary customs as to what food was clean and what food was unclean. Uh, The Lord had given the Jews uh, these customs. Uh, Israel, his, uh, his own chosen people, as they entered covenant with him. The food itself wasn't inherently unclean, but God had commanded Israel to refrain from them as a way of setting up clear distinctions, as a way of honouring that relationship, and as a way of preventing them from mingling with the nations and their idolatry. But here is the implication of the gospel of the Lord Jesus that Peter has failed to grasp. What was unclean, God could declare as clean by the removal of that barrier. And Peter had been there the moment that Jesus had done that. God in his sovereignty has declared these foods clean again. You see that in 10.15. But, but Jesus did that in Peter's presence. Uh, Mark chapter 7. He said there, Jesus, that uh, it's actually what comes out of a, a man that makes him unclean. What comes out of his heart. It was at that moment that the disciples, including Peter who was there, heard Jesus declare all foods clean. Mark 7 verse 19. And so God wants that penny to re-drop for Peter. But you see there, 10 verse 17, at this point, Peter is left scratching his head at this vision. 
I can see how food might be clean again, he, he says, but a person? And on cue, the men from Cornelius turn up to find Peter, verse 19. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. Now Peter went down and said to them, I am the one you are looking for. Why have you come? And the men replied, we have come from Cornelius, the centurion. He is righteous and a God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that we could hear what you have to say. And then verse 25, as Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. And more pennies start to drop for Peter. Peter looks at this man that he wanted nothing to do with, bowed before him, and he realises that for all their differences, Peter knew that he and Cornelius were actually the same. Get up, I am a mere man like you. It is as John Stott said of this part of the passage, he says, it's wrong for Cornelius to treat Peter as a god and for Peter to treat Cornelius as a dog. We are both humans before the Lord. But yet there's more pennies to drop. The, the, the change the, the gospel brings to Peter is not just to show him that Cornelius is a man just like him, a level playing field, but a man in need of Jesus just like him. It's easy, isn't it, to go halfway in, in the way that the gospel changes us, to move from us uh, a bigotry that we may have and uh, bring acceptance instead of those who are different rather than move us to see them as desperately in need of Jesus, just as we are. Peter's not there yet. That's why he asked, you see it there in verse 29, uh, it should be obvious by now, but he still has to ask it. So why did you send for me? What am I doing here? How could Peter not know it? How could he not know, having been commanded to go to the nations with the gospel, and now he is surrounded by the nations? I love this. God is going to make it very, very obvious for Peter. Verse 33. Now we are all here, says Cornelius, in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. How about that for an evangelism invitation? Imagine that at work tomorrow. We're all here to listen to you tell us the gospel. God has laid it on a plate for Peter. Tell us the gospel, Peter. Jesus commanded you to go to the nations and actually the nations have come to you, Peter. Tell us the gospel, you nitwit. And so at last, Peter does. He steps up to the plate with what is, I think, a brilliant outline of the gospel. Did you hear it? As the reading was read, it was a long reading, so it would have been easy to have missed it. But it is wonderful. It's our gospel. Let me ask you, as we heard the gospel read again in Acts chapter 10, does it still thrill you, the gospel of the Lord Jesus? You know, I have a friend at church in Warunga who was part of a trip recently with open doors to the Christians in Iraq, uh, supporting the persecuted church there. And he was struck by all sorts of things about their discipleship. But the thing that he keeps bringing up when we meet together is that uh, each time the Iraqi Christians gathered together and the gospel was read, they demanded it be reread and reread. There was this palpable joy at the, at the news of the risen Lord Jesus. They would clap and cheer as it was read out uh, amidst tears of brothers and sisters who'd been killed. It seems that places where the gospel is most under attack, it is most preciously held. And I expect it's also places where it's never properly been heard, uh, like Cornelius and his house. Can you imagine the joy for them as they heard this message properly for the first time? Such good news. Not original news, mind you. It's the same news that we've heard all the way through Acts. News of God, the King, 
the King of the nations. News of forgiveness of sins for the nations by faith in the Lord Jesus. News of, uh, you see there, verse 34 to 36, of the, the King who can claim jurisdiction over all the nations, who has mercy on all the nations. News, verse 37 to 39, of a good King, full of good deeds. And that's, that's remarkable little detail, isn't it? Because that's Cornelius, he's full of good deeds. But Jesus' good deeds are universal and eternal, which is where he goes next. The deed of Jesus' death on the cross for Cornelius' forgiveness. The, the deed of uh, Jesus uh, being raised from death. The, the word of the empty tomb. The word of the witnesses who were assigned by God to tell this story. The word that he is now the judge of all the nations. And that everyone, verse 43, who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. God is relentlessly about this word to the ends of the earth. And he is about changing our hearts changing communities, changing cultures, changing churches, changing cities, even nations. He is unstoppably about this purpose, how good and wise he is. Let me ask you forward, what would happen if you here and we in Warunga took this reality to heart? What if this was our passion? News from the king to the nations, news of forgiveness of sins by faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, how would that change your approach to the nations here in Sheffield? Uh, how would it affect your future church planning priorities? How would it affect uh, the mission partners that you uh, support? May the gospel change us so that we can carry it to the nations as others have carried it to us. And as we close, uh, watch what happens when the mighty gospel meets Cornelius and his house. Uh, 10 verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. As the gospel of salvation in the name of Jesus Christ is preached, we see the very power of God unfurled. Yes, he's using his servant Peter as he may use us, but the power is in this word, applied to our hearts by God's very Spirit. And so we see the Spirit fall on the Gentiles just as it did the Jews. Why does it fall on them exactly the same way? So that no one would say that in God's family there's two tiers. The Jews and then the Johnny-come-latelys. The Caesareans, the Aussies, the Brits. No, there's one word, one gospel, one name by which all can be saved. One story, one family, one spirit. It is as the apostles declare at the end of our passage as Peter recounts these events, they simply say this, 11.18, they praised God saying, so then, even to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. How good is our God? Cornelius and his household were always outsiders, just like we were. But now by the life and death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, those who are far away have been brought near. This is the story that our God is telling all over our world. It is bearing fruit. It is multiplying. It is unstoppable. Brothers and sisters, can you think of a greater privilege than being part of that story here in Forward or Doncaster? May God bring whatever changes to our hearts and our churches he needs to. May he dismantle whatever barriers are in the way to block the path of this precious and powerful word. Well, let's pray together. Now, Heavenly Father, we do praise you that in your kindness you bring us into this 
relentlessly good purpose that you are about in our world. And we long for that day when every tribe and tongue and nation will be before your throne and before the Lamb. And we pray, Father, that you would move us uh, to be about that mission. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.